Hello, my name is Sahara, and I am about to embark with you on a journey through my English ancestry. I took a DNA test. Turns out, I'm 100% white. Specifically, I am 100% um, or 56% English, uh, Northwestern Europe, Wales, and 44% Irish Scottish. Um, so that got me thinking. Oh, and another thing that the Ancestry website gave me when I when I took their DNA test and they gave me the results was a genetic, um, they called them genetic groupings, genetic communities. Um, and mine were pretty specific and all kind of in the same area, which is somewhat surprising as most people have a little bit of variety in that area because they do have so many different branches of their community. Um, I started off this project trying to trace my ancestry just in general, not really sure where to take it. Um, I started getting really overwhelmed with how many different branches of family there really are. Um, it just became like amazing to me. Do you trace your map, your, your, the, 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 the females, the men, which last names do you follow, which branches? Um, started getting really overwhelmed with that. So I decided to make it a little narrower and just focus on I was, the thing that I'm most curious about, which is how my ancestors came to be in America or in what was America at the time. Um, so that's what I embarked to do. So I will start us off with a quote from... Um, from the from the text of Critical Family History by Christine Sleater. And the quote is, with reference to his students, he said, our parents and grandparents, I have been telling them, are worth are worthy of scholarly attention. They have been actors in history, making choices as they left their homelands and settled in America. And that's what I'm going to focus on are the choices that my ancestors made as they left their homelands and settled in America. So to start off, we need to know where those homelands are. So my two additional genetic communities that I were given are the Lower Midwest and Virginia settlers and the Tennessee and Southern state settlers. Um, both and 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 they give me these these stories um that show where these community genetic communities typically immigrated from so i pretty much know that the lower midwest and virginia settlers came from england um because virginia was actually the first um jamestown in virginia was the first permanent settlement um in the in the colonial united states um and it was pretty much 100% from England um, is where those first settlers came from. So that I can make kind of an assumption here that those ancestors from England came to the, um, came to uh, that area. And that's where I'm getting that genetic community from. 
So as I said before, I got a little overwhelmed in researching all of this as there's a hundred different stories, a hundred different possibilities, um, or more than a hundred. So I decided after some ancestor tracing that I found one that I got a lot of information on, so I would go with that. So the ancestor that I found is based out of Virginia, and the name of that ancestor is Thomas Edward Sr. He was born in Wales in 1695 and died in Virginia in 1751. So I was able to, I, I traced, kept tracing the ancestors back through Ancestry.com um, until I found one that wasn't born in Virginia um, and was actually born in Wales and died in Virginia. So I know that that's the ancestor that emigrated. Now, um, he was born in 1695 uh, and his son uh, was born in 1723 in Virginia. So I know that somewhere between 1695 when he was born and 1723 when his son was born, that that's when he emigrated. Even with all that information, though, I haven't been able to find the immigration records, which is really what I was looking for. But I was able to do some historical research to figure out um, what most likely happened. So as I said before, Jamestown was the first colony set up. Um, so that fortunately and that, and that colony was founded in 1607 and Thomas Edwards was born in 1695 in Wales. Um, so he wasn't one of the first settlers. Um, well, and that's, it's probably not a lot of people related to those first settlers because there weren't very many that survived. They all died from, uh, famine, uh, disease. And, uh, so despite the Powhatan's Indians help in feeding them, um, they still mostly died. But anyways, um, in 1699, after a bunch of turmoil, um, this is four years after Thomas Edwards was born, uh, Jamestown was largely abandoned and became, and they moved the colony main town to, uh, what would be later called Williamsburg. And that happened in 1699. And so it was largely abandoned, not many people there. So I can somewhat assume that, Thomas Edwards likely immigrated as a, as a child with, uh, with his family, but maybe as an older person too. Um, but sometime after 1699 and between 1723, he immigrated to Williamsburg. That's what, that's based on my research. That's what I'm going to assume. Oh, and I, uh, traced all of this, by the way, from my paternal, paternal grandmother's lineage, in case you're curious. So, um, now that I've sort of found this information, um, I struggled where to go with it, but um, <clears throat> luckily I found a lot of really good resources um, to sort of show me what that is. So that's, that's what we're going to go into. So at first when I found out the information that my, at least one of my ancestors uh, was one of the first to come to America way before America was America. I thought it was kind of cool. I mean, I did some research to see how common that is, how many people um, have ancestors like that. Um, and it's about 7% of the American population has some ancestral ties to um, to that pre, pre-American um, times. Um, so... Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. Um, 
made me unique or something like that. But, you know, and, and, and further, um, in, but considering, um, that so there's so many ways in history for Europeans to come to America and considering how many branches you have in your family history, it's kind of surprising not to have more variety, at least within the continental, um, United States, just because of how much variety, but in all of my DNA, it only picked up these groups. So I can, I can somewhat assume that, um, all of my ancestors came, at least some of my ancestors came during that time. Um, but when you start to think about it a little bit more, <laughs> it becomes a little bit less cool when you think about um, how much a part of settler colonialism my ancestors were, um, would have had to been, because they were part of the, they were the the frontiersmen, the, the, um, the pioneers, the pilgrims, uh, all of that and, and all of what comes with that embedded in, in racism and, and, uh, white privilege. Um, I want to now go more into the land-based, um, power dynamics of the time. And I'm going to start with a quote from a document that I was able to find from one of my ancestors, <clears throat> again, a, a Bryce Edwards, his actual will and here's a a quote from it it is my will and desire that my executor herein after named shall be at liberty to dispose of in such a manner as he may think most advantageous to my wife and children my bounty land claim under the act of congress passed september 28 1850 for my service during the late war with great britain and that should a patent be issued therefore and he should therefore and should sell the same then i desire that he convey to the purchaser thereof such title as may be vested therein by law so uh, this tells me a couple things that this ancestor served in the revolutionary war and he was part of the recipients of uh, land grants given um, to veterans there Um, on the surface here you know that makes sense if uh, um, we generally pay uh, we pay military people bonuses and and all those things even today. But <clears throat> and and um, land was plentiful quote um, then and and the states and colonies often set aside land for their veterans. Um, but when you think about it, um, the not only the Revolutionary War with Britain, but also the Indian Wars, the wars with Mexico, all, all these veterans um, were given land for these things. Um, and it it's just kind of dark because it's taken from the very people that they fought on their own, on their own land. So the land that my ancestors were granted, um, I, it didn't say exactly where the land is and the land was that he was granted, and I haven't been able to find that information, but I think it was probably granted in California, um, in California, if I know that my ancestors at some point moved to California, so it could have been there or it could have, that could have not happened yet. But regardless of where it was, it was west of the Appalachians. And so it was part of the movement west for more land and more fighting with the Indians and the Native Americans there. Um, so yeah, this kind of tells me that my ancestors absolutely participated in the stealing of land and, um, taking over in that part of settler colonialism. I'm going to read another quote um, from this will. Um, 
and this is more regarding racism and slavery. He goes on to to say he wants his property and and things to benefit his his wife and and children and all that, and then all property except for his slaves. Um, So this quote says, It is my will and desire that after my wife's death, my Negro woman Vina and her children, Charles and Lucinda, in consideration of her faithful services and trustworthiness, remain in my family, and with that view I desire, after their separate appraisement, some one or more of my children shall take them at said appraised value, he or she or they being responsible to my legatees above mentioned for each one's distributive share. So this was pretty shocking to, I mean, there's one thing to sort of know that your ancestors probably participated in slavery and another to actually have names of those slaves that they, that they claimed. Um, <clears throat> so this uh, Vina and her two kids, Charles and Lucinda, um, seem to be well-liked or at least appreciated by Mr. Edwards. Um, but just like the coldness of putting a, a person in a will as property is definitely hard to look at. Um, and talking about their appraisement, um, I guess I never thought about how you value a, a slave as a, a human being as a slave and, and what that might be worth. I also become curious who the parents of Charles and Lucinda are um, and if that had anything to do with Mr. Edwards. But that's a whole nother um, exploration and mostly just conjecture at this point because I don't have more information. But um, yeah, definitely hard to look at that and think a direct ancestor and, and think about a direct ancestor um, owning slaves, even though I, you know, kind of, I think most Americans, white, most white Americans probably assume that they do. Um, but yeah, here it is, Stark um, in, an, in a will. Um, who knows who knows what their treatment was after he died or what it was when they were still alive definitely something i'd like to get more information on since i'm discovering that my ancestor um was a very strong part of um the settler colonialism slavery um racism everything like that i want to talk a little bit more about that um, so just a, um, slavery was introduced to Jamestown in 1619. So when my ancestor came, it was already in full force. I don't know if they brought their slaves with them from England or if they acquired slaves when they got here, but, um, they definitely had them. And, um, I want, I found, a. I found a very interesting sort of end of life, rambling um writing from uh Lewis Edwards um that would be the father of Bryce Edwards whose will I just went over so his father was uh, a religious man uh, apparently he wasn't always that way and he started as more of a um quote unquote sinner as he calls himself um and the the writing sort of describes his, his how he got how he found his way to God and um and, and preaching, um, and being a pastor and all of that. Um, it was pretty interesting to read because, you know, the traditional story, like Christine Sleater says in her critical family history notes that, um, oh, let me find it. Where is it? Um, 
that, and I'll quote this um, Christine Sleater article, um, the... From time to time, I tried engaging my university students in family history projects to make their own roots more visible. But I realized that simply tracing family trees or writing family stories didn't produce the critical reflection I sought. While some students had no knowledge at all about, and some students no interest in, in their family histories, most constructed portraits that echoed a recurring national narrative. Immigrant ancestors who worked hard and confronted challenges, attaining eventual success they passed on to their offspring. The portraits by students of color generally frame racism as a huge barrier their forebears confronted, but the white students never mentioned it. In fact, my white students' narratives reminded me of Matthew F. Jacobson's analysis of the European-American ethnic revival movement of the 1970s and 90s in his book Roots to White Ethnic Revival in Post-Civil Rights America. Um, this is interesting because that is true. That is the typical narrative of the American dream and, and t- typically what we what we pass off as happening but the hard work that was put in especially by the first ones that came not that the life wasn't hard or that there weren't hard things to it but but the amount of wealth and privilege that they were given by being by by being able to just steal the natives lands and resources the natives gave them what they needed to survive they gave them food um, the James, my ancestors too. The Jamestown um, uh, people would have starved and died if uh, if they hadn't given if the Powhatan Indians had not um, helped them with food and um, showing them how to survive in this area. Um, they wouldn't have been able to do it. It it, it was less about um, working hard and more about what they be what they could be given. I mean, we're talking um, an entire state of land, um, Kentucky, uh, was, they tried to buy Kentucky from, uh, the natives for something, what would be equivalent today, but 1.5 million, an entire state. It's just dirt, dirt cheap. Um, and I'm kind of wondering, um, how, uh, how hard they really had to work compared to, how hard others had to work. Um, so I'm going to read you a few quotes from this particular pastor ancestor who's particularly whiny about his situation. Um, okay, here it is. Brethren, I was once the owner of 1,000 acres of land, and now I have no home of my own. And another, though I am very poor and old and deaf, and my case looks like one of the worst almost on earth. I think it will be fine. And the last one, uh, second to last one, I bought land in Dickinson County, Virginia. It was then Russell County. In a short time, we moved to my land near the Sand Lake Church, which, by the way, is still a church today. I looked it up, um, where he became a, a, a pastor there. So it's basically just this guy lamenting losing some land and, um, being old and close to death and put upon and, and, and all of that. But, and yet he has these two parcels of land that he can choose from. Um, anyways, and back to that race discussion and one, the one last quote from this pastor's, uh, uh, writings was, um, in, in, in regards to racism, 
I dreamed I was going to school with all my playmates. We were all assembled at the schoolhouse and I saw our teacher. He was an uncommonly large black man. It seemed I was badly dissatisfied with the teacher. I thought he said if I ran away, he would bring me back and burn me in hellfire. My playmates and I had been going to school with the devil and he was our teacher. Obviously some glaring implications here. Um, first of all, associating um, black people with the devil um, and not liking them um, and, and how they stated that he was large uh, and that scared him more in this dream that he had. So in his dream, the devil is a black man. Um, so I think that that, I don't even know how to dissect that, but, um, yeah. So that was this guy, um, then became a preacher at that church. And I just can't imagine how excluded, um, the black people must've been, um, not only from life in general, but also from religious, um, proceedings, which was a big deal back then. I want to talk a little bit more about the, um, how my ancestors related with the native people at the time. Um, I found a, um, a pioneer recollections regarding Sandlick, page 129 to 130. And this is just a recollection from um, another, another Edwards ancestor. And, uh, this would have been, this would have been again about around the 1850s in the early 1800s. Then everybody wore homespun. It was made from flax and sheep's wool, which were raised by the settlers. I did not have store, I did not have a store suit before I was married. We all wore moccasins made of groundhog hide or deer skin. Our hats were made of wool, and the nearest hatter lived at Lebanon. These hats were heavy and lasty. Some straw hats were made by hand. All houses were made of logs, and the little furniture we had was handmade from boards made with a whipsaw. Bedsteads were made of wood, and cords drawn through auger holes in the bed railings served as springs. The bed ticks were made of tow and fitted with flax and tow. A few people had feather beds, but they were, thi they were rather thin. The women folks made coverlets and quilts. The coverlets were woven on looms. Each family had a loom and spinning wheels for home manufacture of necessary articles of wearing apparel. The makers of these looms and wheels lived on the Clinch River. So I think it's interesting in this um, little paragraph about the kinds of things that they wore. Of course, in this perspective, he's sort of uh, capitalizing on how simplistic everything is, maybe, maybe even a little bit of a tone of complaining. So especially the line where they says we all wore moccasins made of groundhog hide or deerskin. Now I know that the Europeans didn't wear moccasins made of groundhog hide or deerskin. They got this from the natives. Um, and I just think that's interesting that that wasn't mentioned. Um, definitely a lot of multicultural culture of cultural erasures here of not giving credit where credit is due. And obviously the interactions they had with the natives, um, they helped them, they helped them and, um, help them survive in this new world. After the Civil War, um, the Virginia, um, Kentucky, Tennessee areas like that, um, after the Civil War, those areas became more modernized in transportation, which meant that goods could get back to the market easily, um, but that also meant a drop in price in goods 
um, and, and more modern um, machines meant um, that they needed less, farms needed less labor. So the surplus, those extra workers that found themselves out of a job, um, they basically found their way to milling, meatpacking, and brewing industries in Missouri, according to Ancestry.com. Um, in Indiana, they worked in steel mills, gas fields. Uh, some southern migrants um, went to Arkansas and Texas that had similar racial attitudes to them. And uh, during that, so I know that a bunch of my ancestors, um, more more recent ancestors, not recent, but more recent than the 1700s, um, they have birth and death locations in Missouri, quite a few of them in the Edwards family, in the Edwards line. So I can kind of assume that that, that brought them to um, Missouri doing milling, wood woodwork, meat packing, and brewing uh, beer, I would imagine. Um, oops. And once they um, went in Missouri, and uh, the main area would be St. Louis at that time, um, a lot of factory workers um, faced some discrimination, not on race, just but being from more rural areas. Um, so eventually, um, but and then eventually the, the oil was found in, in North Texas, Oklahoma, and actually eventually Los Angeles, California. And since I know that eventually the ancestors ended up in California, I can imagine that maybe that had a part, had a part to do with it. So knowing that, I know that my ancestors went all the way from England to Virginia, probably to either Kentucky or Tennessee through the Appalachian Mountains and then to Missouri, Missouri, and then all the way to California. So that's pushing westward as much as anybody can push westward to for stealing Indian lands. Um, so, you know, it's very humbling to realize how much of an impact my ancestors um contrib how much my ancestors contributed to the westward expansion and how much we were very very much a part of uh stealing those lands and marginalizing people and propagating settler colonialism as is the purpose of this podcast um the complexity of identity um paper really uh, reading really um relates to this um because and and one thing in particular is the idea of Americans or white people having culture um you know myself included we tend to think believe that we don't have culture because it's so around us all the time it's not challenged ever um so a quote from the complexity of identity is that um Students of color usually mention their racial or ethnic group. For instance, I am black, Puerto Rican, Korean American. White students who have grown up in strong ethnic enclaves occasionally mention being Irish or Italian. But in general, white students rarely mention being white. <clears throat> when I use this exercise in co-educational settings, I notice a similar pattern in terms of gender, religion, and sexuality. Women usually mention being female, while men don't usually mention their maleness. 
Common across these examples is that in the areas where a person is a member of the dominant or advantaged social group, the category is usually not mentioned. That element of their identity is so taken for granted by them that it goes without comment. It is taken for granted by them because it is taken for granted by the dominant culture. Um, in Ericksonian terms, their inner experience and outer circumstance are in harmony with one another, and the image reflected by others is similar to the image within. So this really struck with me because absolutely I am there. I am absolutely that person that um, that the the my my race or my ancestry was never a factor for my identity. At least that's how I felt, um, and. Um, it just didn't seem necessary because we're all just quote unquote American. So doing this project um, really meant a lot for me to be able to explore that side and be more aware of my whiteness. In conclusion, I want to sort of talk about um, what my personal um, impact was in terms of my privilege. So um, in particular, the question, in what ways have your historical routes provided certain advantages or disadvantages that impact your life today? And that's huge because my ancestor um, literally started the pilgrim life. They literally were called, they were part of the colonization. They were part of the push westward. Um, they were the ones, that, they are the ones that started this dominant white culture. And so I have very much been benefited by that in terms of um, my family and myself always having been white and always having been part of the dominant um, culture and part of that um, opportunity group. Um, so I want to give some space and, and respect to to that experience um, and, and to those who haven't had that experience and, and still don't. Um, so I hope that going forward that I'll be more aware of my uh, white privilege and be able to understand that, um, that, that being white is not one of the things that gets in my way from making things happen for myself and to, and as a future educator to be aware that being of color is something that gets in the way and to never forget that. So. Thanks for listening. Here follows my bibliography. One would be The Life and Experience of Elder Lewis Edwards by Elder Lewis Edwards. Um, the second would be um, The Will of Bryce Edwards pages 86 to 87, written on September 2nd, 1851. Third would be the Sandlick Pioneer Recollections, pages 129 to 130. Various authors. And uh, fourth would be a website. So that would be www.nps.gov forward slash James forward slash learn forward slash history culture forward slash a short history of Jamestown dot htm and um, the others would be um, the um, 
Immigration and Oppression by uh, Kopelman. Uh, Critical Family History by Christine Sleeter. And the complexity of identity, who am I? And uh, that is by Beverly Daniel Tatum, PhD. Thank you.